Hey, everybody. We know that you've had a lot to deal with in terms of ways to modify and adapt and pivot and change the way you're approaching your experiences for your audiences now that COVID-19 has impacted all of us. So Lee and I were talking yesterday and decided to put together an off-the-cuff, spontaneous podcast episode to talk with some of their leadership about how they've made changes at Bayside in Sacramento in response to the outbreak. And hopefully you'll be able to get something from it that could apply to your context. So without further ado, here's a special coronavirus episode of the MXU podcast. You are now entering the MXU podcast. No credentials required. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 30 of the MXU podcast. Lee, we have made it to 30 episodes. Barely. We made it healthy. <laughs> yeah. So that's kind of why we're here today is uh, this was sort of a, hey, let's see if we can pull together a podcast real quick so we can talk to people who are trying to deal with this COVID-19 craziness. And I know you guys are in California. I'm on the East Coast. You guys have a different level of, uh, I don't want to say panic, but urgency than we do here in some places in the Southeast, but um, I know it's been nuts for a lot of people. So um, we're glad to do this and just try to help churches sort of navigate how to move forward as as we come into the next few weeks, especially with Easter coming up, just ways that we can think about programming and think about how we're going to do church differently. Um, I've heard a lot of success stories about people over the weekend having a great online experience. I've heard some horror stories too. So we're here to try to bring some not only clarity around best practices, but maybe some creativity and maybe some new ideas and new ways of thinking about how to approach what we do online. Yeah, totally. And uh, we've got two special guests with us from Bayside. So we've never brought in guys from uh, the team here at Bayside where I work, but we've got Jake Cody and CJ Alvarado. So um, hey, hey. Jake, why don't you tell everybody what you do, and then CJ, tell everybody what you do and your role inside and outside the church. Uh, yeah. Hey, everybody. I uh, Jacob Cody here, and I oversee uh, production globally for Bayside. So that's what I do. And for those of you guys who don't know Jake in Bayside context, formerly you would have known Jake from his years at Yamaha. So if you ever interacted with Jake as Yamaha Jake or at any of the <laughs> Yamaha training events, Jake was the main house of worship trainer guy for Yamaha. So he's had a heart for the church for a long time and has been around a bunch of our tribe many times. So Jake has been a good friend of MXU since the very beginning, and we're just thrilled that you're here with us today. It's awesome. Happy to be here. Thanks. Dude, I forgot about the Yamaha Jake. That goes back to my digi design days, man. I remember <laughs> old that. school, man. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> forgot about that. Uh, anyway, my name's CJ. Uh, I lead the communications and digital team globally at Bayside, and then uh, on the side, I get to run a, an agency out of Sacramento. So that uh, that keeps me pretty busy. Yeah, and you just kind of hinted at it. Um, you used to work for digital design back in the day. Yeah. Was uh, in the marketing group there. Was uh, started there running uh, Pro Tools HD when we we moved to Excel cards. You guys remember Excel cards? Oh yeah, Heck yeah, wow. yeah. And then uh, was invited three years into my stint there to work on a covert project at the time 
and uh, we later called that project Venue, and uh, that thing did all right. And, yeah, uh, slightly. Yeah, so that was, that was a fun time. That's very cool. Yeah. Well, we're just thrilled to have you guys here today, and I, I want to hear, first of all, more about what you guys did for this past weekend, because what the team was able to pull off and how you guys were able to pivot from your normal planning and programming to what you were able to give to your audience and your congregations across multiple campuses all through the weekend in the midst of what was for many people a panic situation. Um, you were able to bring consistency of experience and normalcy and some sense of, gosh, this is still my church to your um, attendees. And so, Jake, why don't you talk for a minute just about kind of what that looked like last week around this time to go, okay, guys, we're going to have to go online only. So here's how we're going to pivot. Yeah. I mean, well, gosh, uh, this time last week was Monday and we were all kind of hanging out. I mean, we knew, we knew that things were kind of going downhill, but we didn't realize how fast it was about to turn. And it, it really wasn't until, I mean, we were having programming meetings about what the weekend was going to look like in a St. Patrick's day moment and, you know, this and that. And, uh, it wasn't until Wednesday that, uh, six o'clock in the morning, I got a text from, uh, one of our executive team and it's like, Hey, we've got an emergency meeting eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, we got to figure stuff out. And it was from then we hit the ground running and, uh, between Wednesday morning and, uh, Wednesday afternoon, we had scrapped the entire service, brought everything over and pivoted to doing a completely online experience. And by eight o'clock Thursday morning, we were capturing, uh, footage for all of our campuses. So for you guys who are listening, who don't know, Bayside typically does not do, uh, central communication that's broadcast to all the campuses. Every campus does their own teaching of the same outline, basically. And so what you guys did was to bring in uh, worship leaders and communicators from each campus to do how many individual recordings of exclusive experiences? Uh, It was seven. Seven. So seven campuses each did their own recording at your main broadcast location. Right. So the original, I mean, we knew this virus thing was coming. So we had actually bought the week before like live stream rigs and we thought we'd do a lockdown wide shot or something for all of the campuses that don't have, you know, full production. Um, and even that was pretty aggressive to order everything overnight it and get it up and running by the weekend. And, uh, so we were running full, full speed ahead that the weekends would still happen with people in the room and we would just be capturing that and broadcasting it. And then, yeah, then we brought everything back in house and decided since they they wouldn't have actual services, uh, it would be a better experience for the congregation, the community as a whole, if we did a well-produced experience uh, for each of the campuses on our own. Yeah. That's amazing. I know that our listeners have a ton of questions, <laughs> but Lee, what were the questions that were going through your mind? most prominently at the time. Like, I know it's like, okay, how are we going to pull this off? Well, we've got a great team. We've got Jake and the guys around him who can get the gear and get everybody in place. But from a team leadership standpoint, what were the conversations like sort of at the, at the executive level? 
Yeah, so that uh, Wednesday morning, those early text messages, we had a meeting at 8, 8 o'clock that morning, and then a meeting at 10 o'clock to let all the campus pastors know what was going to happen. And I remember sitting in that meeting, texting Tyler, my partner, and he and I lead the worship team, and we're texting like, hey, I'm really concerned about the quality of the experience, our Blue Oaks campus, our Adventure campus, our Folsom campus, what that's going to be like for a churchgoer at home watching when the Granite Bay campus, they're the ones with all the great equipment and the big LED wall, you know. So we're texting in the middle of this as the campus pastors are sorting out what they're going to do. And without even talking to Jake, oh, Jake, you were in that meeting too, actually, and mm-hmm. CJ. Um, I just kind of threw out there. I said, hey, I just want to let you guys know, we think it's possible if everyone will do the same service that we could shoot seven individual unique experiences for everybody at Granite Bay and it'd be really good quality. And like no one said anything. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like, uh, okay. And then you could see the campus pastors starting to look at each other and our campuses are two campus pastors per location. So it, it took them just kind of some nods to go like, okay, if we think we can do that, then, then let's do it. So, well, the great thing about that, what I love is the campuses you mentioned by name, Folsom, Adventure, Blue Oaks, those are the newest additions to your, to your campus st- structure and the smallest. And so I love that your thinking was not, well, we'll just do what's right for Granite Bay, the main campus, so to speak. Yeah. And then everybody else can just sort of get the leftovers. You know, your priority was to provide a great experience for everybody in the community that calls Bayside their home, which is a huge learning, I think, for a lot of our listeners. Yeah. So, and then from there, it's where uh, CJ's team really comes into play. It was, okay, if we're going to be doing this online, you know, as a church, you're thinking about a couple things, like our world is in panic. Uh, we need to de-escalate, bring some joy back into people's lives, some hope. And let's not forget that we're a nonprofit and cash flow is very important and we have 300 employees. And so everybody's all, also thinking about giving. Mm-hmm. So how do we start to engage people that we, we don't lose any momentum in ministry or finances or all of that? So we got together with a small programming team and said, hey, we can't do an hour and 10 minute service online. We don't think that's going to hold people. What if we do two songs, no announcements, straight into a message, and the message is 20 to 25 minutes? And luckily, um, the campus pastors, they kind of let us drive that, and, and that's what we ended up doing. And then, you know, we're on we're Monday now, so CJ and I were in a board meeting at lunch today. It was a phone call and giving recaps of everything. And then what happened on the weekend was astounding. Yeah. I mean, it was CJ. Why don't you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, I mean, I, I think what was really interesting was the instinct. I think for for the organization was just to take what we what we do when we're programming for a service in a worship center and just apply that to online. And so, like like Lee said, we ended up, I think, 
programming for digital, which was really important because we had year and a half of just streaming onto Facebook Live to kind of see what the audience trends were. You know, we could see where they'd cut off. We'd lose our audience, 50% of our audience right after worship announcements would come, you'd lose half of that audience. So we knew like you can't just approach digital in the same way for a number of reasons. The first reason is your audience doesn't have you you're not in control of the domain that your audience is in, right? Like now they have their phone or they're in front of their computer. So they can swipe away at any point in time as soon as they lose interest. Um, well, and every so, notification that comes in, they're going to be distracted, right? Yeah. They're, even when you're trying to pay attention, you're watching full screen, you've still got notifications coming in, your phone's buzzing, the kids are doing something in the other room. Like it's it's different than sitting in a service. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it's, it's, it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. And though it's a massive opportunity and it's great, it's also incredibly challenging because like you said, it's perfect segue. There's a lot more competition and competition, you know, may not just be a church down the street. Most churches may not see another church's competition, but you've, you're competing against a lot of other th- distractions, right? Uh, other content, other services doing other things that may seem interesting. So you have to approach that programming in a very different way. Like Lee said, unfortunately, you know, we landed, I think in, in a, a way better spot. The result was incredible. I mean, that, that one decision production chose uh, or production made for all the other campuses created such a better experience for each of the campuses that even our youngest campuses experienced more attendance online than they had physical uh, in, in their physical attendance and created a lot more engagement, a lot more uh, just just activity around those campuses. I thought for sure that we would see uh, more people going to our earliest services and then just feel like they didn't need to attend any other campus stream. But the exact opposite happened. We had record numbers at every single campus is stream. Uh, they're, they're separate streams. So it was a pretty amazing uh, outcome. And at some point we should talk about what happened with the finance stuff. But I mean, just from a technical standpoint, that move production, the production team made, I think really made a massive difference for us. Yeah. So our, our normal weekend attendance doubled online to what it was in person. But I know a lot of people hear that and go, yeah, well, how many of those were three second views or 10 second views? Those were 30 minute stays. Yes. Wow. So we had over 40,000 people do over 30 minute stays. It's just unbelievable. And Mm -hmm. what's your normal weekend in person? Like 18 to 20,000. That's amazing. What's your normal weekend online? CJ, I don't know. Uh, You would know that. Well, we don't I do online. It, like he he mentioned, yeah, we, we we do Facebook we just do Live. Facebook Live. Okay, from gotcha. one campus, uh, once on Sunday morning and once on Sunday night. So, you know, some of those could probably be twenty thousand throughout a week. Sure, but sure. a lot of those yeah. are going to be ten second views or, or whatever. Right. So, right. yeah. So we we the only good data we had on that was like he said, seeing when people stop. So any kind of transition. So worship to announcements, big drop. Announcements to message, another big drop. Mm-hmm. So like our smallest campus, our Davis campus, is brand new. Campus pastors have been there a month. So they've had, yeah, a month. There, there's 200 people meeting at that location right now. He had 700 watch online. That's incredible. Mm. Yeah. Amazing. Just yeah. unbelievable. Well, you guys have always been really good from a technical standpoint and production standpoint at 
just maximizing creativity and doing, doing things outside the box. You know, you were one of the first teams I ever heard of that thought about church services as you would a tour, you know, making setup tear down easy, making uh, cable runs coming out of cases like you would on tour, making volunteer training, something that, um, you know, a volunteer could come and just push faders based on systems that work and all of those kind of things that Bayside production is known for. Um, and so to see this be a success technically wasn't a surprise to me. What is surprising is this sort of new and different level of engagement that I think surprised all of you guys. So what does this mean, not just for this COVID-19 window, but how does this reshape the way you think about programming in general? Yeah, let me in engagement. Let me toss this two different directions because I'm on the inside. Jake, why don't you talk about what we're doing with the other studio build and the master control conversation today? Yeah, so we're leaning pretty hard into shifting, especially during this downtime, these next few months, uh, shifting our production team, which has been fine-tuned for live experiences, capturing those, and just you know replaying it on on a screen. Uh, we're retuning everything to be a content-generating machine. So uh, everything that we're doing is thinking about it through the lens of uh, someone's watching it from a screen on their phone on the other side, all studio setups. We're not, we're not doing crowd lighting. We're not doing wide shots. We're not doing, I mean, everything is flipped upside down. So uh, one of the big initiatives that um, we're doing is we have got about a 300 person space. Um, it's a little, we call it the video cafe. Um, and uh, we're, we literally, it's, I just toured it a few minutes ago. We gutted it, took everything out of it. And we're, we spent some uh, cash investment on a, broadcast system and we're putting it in and we're basically making a small little broadcast studio that we can film everything from like weekend sermons, uh, small worship sets to podcasts, um, anything that, uh, would be more like long form content. We can capture in there, cut it on the fly and either broadcast it live or send it to our comms team in post that they can cut up and uh, get little bits from, uh, for, you know, daily content on social or whatever. It's pretty awesome. That's very cool. And Lee, from the worship standpoint, what does that mean in the way you're thinking about music? Yeah. Space. So uh, we're trying to create different types of spaces to create different digestible experiences. So we have a 2000 seat room that we just filmed everything in this weekend with a giant led wall. It's still a very high production value, but we wanted something a little different. So like not to a living room, but like what's in the middle. So that's the space Jake, uh, Jake just outlined. So that's like white walls, very small room. We can do some very creative things in there. And then as far as worship goes, we're going to start doing everything from a worship leader in his living room, just going, man, I was just thinking about this verse today. Remind me of this chorus and he'll just sing a couple courses and then we'll send that to CJ's team. All the way to today, they're shooting a dozen music videos like with a full band of two worship leaders that we could use those in services in the future or standalones, like just drop those on social media during the week. So CJ, what does that mean in terms of just how you're thinking about, because a lot of churches 
want to know like, okay, what can we do during the week to keep people engaged? Well, what you guys are talking about here is like, you could produce content and put it out all the time. Like it's, it's not just a large format, full service mindset. This is little bits of content coming at you almost constantly. And that is really exciting. I mean, it, it, it seems really daunting, I think, to people who think, gosh, how am I going to make this much content all the time? But if you have this dedicated space with the team that's thinking differently, I think it's really kind of more exciting than it is intimidating. Talk about that for a minute, just in terms of frequency and um, just what you expect the level of engagement to be and how different that'll be. Yeah. No, it is really exciting, you know, but it's it's funny how it it took something like this I think to kind of hit a tipping point at least for us. And what what I think everyone saw and was forced to reckon with at this point was without a physical campus in play, now you have to create something that engages people on a day-to-day stays top of mind for them and then can pull them into a digital experience because without that, you know, there's like we said earlier, there's just way too much competition, way too many things vying for people's attention. And what we always tell our, our, our senior team is like, this is the attention economy. It is about attention where the attention goes, the action flows and business. They always say where the attention goes, the money flows. Right. And it's very true. You know, where that attention goes is, is kind of where people tend to, to, to move. And so, seeing our production teams, you know, create a space where we can now create content on the regu- on a regular basis now really like starts to, 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 uh, work much more closely with our communications team. And that's really exciting, uh, where because of the way that we've done church for so many years, those two worlds have oftentimes just been very separated, but yeah. now we're finding more and more, they actually share uh, a lot of that responsibility. And, and there's, there's a lot of opportunity for those two, two groups to work together. One of the things we've been talking about a lot lately is this idea of like our own funnel. We've got these pillar content that we're working on, which is longer form content. It's what this studio is meant to, to serve and it can, and it can accommodate a lot of different types of content, but then that content gets handed over to our comms team team as a, as Lee mentioned, and now we're dicing that up into micro content, short digestible pieces that can point people back to that long form, you know, or point or just, just be digestible things that people consume on a day-to-day basis. And then just a little encouragement or a little, just kind of a literally totally. pick me up, you know, yeah. just, Hey, remember your this. perspective. And, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. So cool. And so now there is just that cohesive relationship between the two groups and hopefully much more of an engine, if you will, that can produce content that, that, uh, that is helpful. Uh, so in some of these meetings this week, you know, it wasn't a, an, well, it wasn't difficult to do this. Honestly, we got pretty lucky, but we were forced into this yeah. to get guys <laughs> like, but we'd be lying if we said, didn't say CJ and I have been hounding our team about this for yeah, years. It's okay. True. It's like, yeah. you know, it's all about the weekend. It's all about the weekend. It's all about the weekend. And we've been going, no, there's another 167 hours during the week. And we're losing that like one hour a week is church. Like what about the rest of it? And now that mobile and social and content has, is what it is. 
we were so behind on this. And then we like joked this week is like, well, I only took a global pandemic to get everybody to <laughs> realize that we were right. Right. Well, I think that, I think the church in general is so behind on this. Yeah. So let's talk for a minute. Cause I think there's, there's some people out there who have sensed and have felt the tension that communications, worship and production are three different sort of streams of staff, of content, of priority. And they really, as evidenced by you guys, can be most effective if those three streams come into one bigger river. So for the church that struggles with communicating the need for that, or how do we how do we combine resources? How do we find synergy? How do we come together between worship and production? We've talked about that a lot around MXU, where worship and production are not an us and them kind of relationship. But then when you bring comms into it, it's almost like there's this third staff mm-hmm. and resource and all this stuff that are vying for the same piece of the pie. It's like, no, guys, it's so much more powerful if we come together. So what would you say to the church that is really in the middle of this struggle? And this hasn't really been a wake-up call yet, but it needs to be. Well, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like, as long as it's just digital, you have to bring marketing or comms-minded folks into it because the audience is no longer in an auditorium. The audience is now on a mobile devices. You know, they're they're watching on a lot of different platforms. You're usually... You know, maybe if you're a little more advanced using growth hacking techniques and advertising to try to get that content out in front of as many people as you can. Capturing the content is just one piece of this puzzle now in the digital domain. Now getting it out in front of people, getting it in front of the right audiences, you know, optimizing that content so it does everything you want. That's a totally different ballgame. So it really does you know, force our teams to kind of work uh, much more closely than than maybe we we have in the past. Big time. I just had this weird like metaphor pop in my head. If you're a live production team, imagine putting on the event in an empty room, and then at the end of it, depending on how well you did, people would trickle in as like a scorecard. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like good, you pull man. off this great event in an empty room. And if it was if it was okay, it would fill up about halfway, and then you would know. So that's kind of what this is. Man, it's that's so good. It's we're making content, and we're just going. Let's just get it out there. Fail as fast as we can. Read the data and pivot and try something new. Mm-hmm. I think part of the problem for people who didn't feel like this weekend was a win is that they were literally performing to an empty room, and they have no way to measure whether or not it was effective. They just sort of did what they always do with nobody there and we hope people will watch. Yeah. Man, this has to this has to look different in order for it to be effective. Right. There's so many things behind the scenes. I mean, we spent, you know, a good portion of time encouraging there were strategies just to make sure people were online so that the optics of the of those watching was in play so that algorithms you know would prioritize our feed i mean we're there's so many advanced things that you start looking at just to make sure you're playing towards how these algorithms work you can have the best service that's programmed really well with really talented people that no one sees 
Mm-hmm. Right? That's a very different paradigm shift for for us in the church. So another reason why we we I think teams have to work together uh because it's just it's just a different ball game when it's all digital. That's so good. That's so good. Jake, why don't you talk about what we specifically did with audio, video and lighting to pivot towards a mobile experience? Yeah. So, I mean, gosh, we always tell our students and our volunteers on our team, I mean, this, this isn't a new idea by any means, but, uh, we really lean into the, the tent of meeting concept in the sense of like what we do, uh, is talked about in Exodus 35 when, uh, you know, Bezalel and his team literally construct the tent of meeting and the specifics on materials and their sizes and how it's put together. And, and we kind of, we assume that role, and uh, relate to it in the sense of we're building the space. And instead of, you know, fine linens and wood, it's, you know, lighting and sound and speakers and staging. But um, so we're used to creating this tent of meeting and controlling the environment that people come into and we can grab their attention and captivate it. And within, you know, hours had to completely rethink our tent of meeting because we don't control the space anymore. I mean, the tent of meeting is somebody's living room or in the gym on their phone or whatever, and we've got to get them to engage. So we, uh, the first thing we did, I mean, we moved the cameras right up on the stage. We took lights down and put it all around, uh, you know, on the sides of the stage and around and in front so that uh, it would feel like this really close, intimate experience. And we had to do it on our, like, our main stage because that's where all the gear was. We didn't have time to load it out and load it into somewhere else. So we had to do some trickery to like not make it feel like you're in a big empty room. So we hung pipe and drape. We put lights where in the way so you couldn't see what was behind it. Um, brought everybody in really tight and uh, didn't do, I mean the led wall was behind it, but we didn't do any huge graphics or anything. We did a solid color uh, and really just tried to fine tune uh, the cameras so that it would feel, it would feel as like intimate as possible. And I think that was kind of the, the framework of we've got to, we can't, we're not capturing how big and grand and huge this is. We're capturing how like close and intimate and we're, we're in your living room. And that's also the space that we're here in, you know, there's gotta be some relation there. So. So let me ask you a specific question. Cause when I was watching the one, one of the first things I noticed was the, one of the things that made it smaller was that there were people on stage as mm. well. Right. Yeah. So what, what drove that decision? Cause I, I'm sure that somebody was looking at the shot going, gosh, this is kind of close, but it's not quite right. Like what, what were some of those conversations like? Yeah. So in, in programming the service, uh, you know, the whole reason why we did seven different cuts of the campus pastor and the worship leader was to have, familiar faces and to have that leader of that congregation encouraging them and giving them hope. And so uh, we wanted to just lean into that idea as much as possible. And someone had the idea of what if we literally put the staff of that campus on stage with them? So not only are you looking at the pastor whose face you recognize, but you can see the children's director, you can see the worship leaders, you can see um, even the tech guys, you know, uh, you recognize this is your family. We're all here as a family. We're in this together. Um, And the energy that, you know, when you do a studio shoot, it's really hard to conjure up a lot of energy. So when you put, if you can put 10 to 20 
people on stage that are worshiping and really like listening intently or whatever, it actually, it really changes the dynamic and the energy of the video. It was super effective. I just, I, I thought that was a brilliant choice. Whoever is responsible for that, that was, that was a huge win. That's cool. So let's do talk about the numbers for a second because CJ alluded to it a minute ago. Um, just without sort of giving away too much, there is a financial win here that you guys maybe weren't expecting. So clue, yeah. clue our listeners in on what happened. Well, you you know, every everyone, I think for the most part, was was feeling a little anxiety about what happens for the first time when you don't have your congregation in a room and and uh, of course, that affects offering. Um, there's still a lot of things to pay for, salaries and bills and things like that, obviously. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of angst there, and it's understandable. Um, our team was prepared. I think Andrew, uh, one of our senior pastors, was was anticipating you know, uh, upwards to 26% in decrease uh, just by going online. And what we saw was you know, quite the opposite. Um and we found out that we were just, you know, a couple thousand bucks short, essentially, of of where we were the weekend before when we had all of our physical uh, experiences. So we were blown away. What we started seeing was way more clicks uh, to the Give link online. We started to see a lot more new, uh, non-recurring gifts which are those the the recurring gifts usually imply someone's part of the life of the church probably been a part of our congregation for a while to so to see double the uptick in basically non recurring gifts you know was was showing us that maybe there's there really is something here uh to to this so whole thing great. and so uh, you can imagine how encouraged our senior team was to see that uh, i think it solidified just this as a as a real platform for them. Uh, yeah. And so it was, it was really, really cool to see all that. Well, and as I was watching, one thing that struck me was the actual messaging that came from leadership because they crafted what they said in a way that was super compelling when they said, we don't want you to give to Bayside. We want you to help us give through Bayside. And so just that idea of this is this is flowing through us to your neighbors, to the community, mm-hmm. to the single mom who's struggling, to the people who don't know if they can afford what the next few months is going to bring. I mean, that that kind of thing was, it's like, well, of course I'm going to get on board with this because this isn't just a church asking for money. This is a church that's mindful of what they're going to give to my neighbors. And it just, I mean, it totally changed the game. Yeah. So little things like that. And and just the way you communicate has to be different when we're when we're using this format. So, the yeah. any 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 other specific examples you can think of to sort of tease that out even further? Um, that's a good question. Um, I did want CJ to talk about one other thing. Like we had great success this weekend. You know, forty thousand people watched online, but what's what's going to be the next problem? And he and I were texting the other night and it was, okay, now how do we activate these people? Right. So it's one thing to just start this, but it's not going to last. Like we won't just be able to keep running the same play. So like 
you and I haven't talked about this, so this is kind of real time, but like, where are you at with strategies to activate people? Yeah. I mean, I think what we're, you know, what we're going to see, and this is just real, you know, is that a lot of our systems, a lot of our processes to onboard people exist for a, a totally different context. Uh, onboarding someone where you're incentivizing them to go to room 202 for seven minutes after the service and we're going to give you some cookies and a gift bag just doesn't translate. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and I'm, I'm kind of making a joke about that. I mean, but I think we all can relate to some degree to most of those processes being calibrated to an experience that's so different. Uh, to people, what do you do when there's cultural and language barriers? You know, uh, what do you do when uh, they're not in the same geographical location as you? What do you do when your curriculum's built specifically for a suburban audience or an urban audience at that from that uh, for that for that point? So, uh, like, there's just so many variables at that point uh, to consider when we're thinking about a more of a global audience. So, yeah. yeah, it's a lot to figure out. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think for a lot of churches, you know, getting it's like, OK, there's there was this first hurdle of, OK, let's let's get through this weekend and figure out what we're going to do. And then there's a little bit of a, OK, now that we've got guidelines and we know how long schools are closed and we know how long spring break is extended or whatever the case may be. It's like, OK, what can we do between now and Easter to make sure that's only a few weeks away. So can we get to Easter? Okay. Well then for a lot of people, it's going to be like, ah, we got to go after Easter. What are we going to do? So what, what advice, what encouragement, like what would you guys say to that church in middle America? Who's in a smaller area who they felt great because they had 500 people online. They didn't have 40,000. They're never going to get 40,000 but they want to serve their local community as best they can. You know, what, what can we help them with? Yeah, it's a great question. You know, I think first I would, you know, my heart for those folks, you know, in particular is not to feel like they, they have to feel pressure to do it exactly how everyone else is doing it. Hmm. You may not be able to pull off, you know, really high production worship experience. You just may not have the people resources or the technology to do it at this point, but you can produce, you know, lower scale content that is still very valuable. You know, maybe it's a pastor well-lit in a room and he's just delivering some very, very helpful content. It's about value at this point. And it doesn't always have to be in like this sage from the stage plat, uh, format. Mm, you know, good. this this can be helping your community with just valuable nuggets, valuable content, mm -hmm. uh, maximizing your sermons better. I'm still just surprised at how many churches still don't really maximize their sermon. It is the most expensive piece of content that they work on on a week-to-week -week basis. It has the most valuable person, arguably, in the organization spending the most amount of time producing, and they do nothing with it. It sits in a hard drive, and nothing happens with it. So start maximizing that content by cutting That's it good. up, offering those nuggets to, to your audience, and add value to them. There's a lot of staff probably sitting around that usually, not sitting around, but would normally be working <laughs> on a weekend that can't. 
women's ministry, men's ministries, potentially, you know, kids' ministries, there are resources they can be providing families who are now, you know, dealing with with their kids at home that they can start mobilizing. That is useful content. You don't need, you know, a massive production, you know, or stage or facility to to execute on. So I would just encourage them to take a step back, look at what they do have and execute on that. That's really good. And I think another good thing is to is to understand that it doesn't have to be a forty minute talk. Right. I think to come up with, gosh, what is the best encouragement we could give these people in eight minutes, and really spend a lot of time crafting that. You know, get your best Bible storyteller from your kids ministry to give the best version of the Bible story that parents can use as something that actually has handles on it that they can use on Thursday night as they're tucking their kids in. You know, mm-hmm. thinking about those things in a way that's just maybe upside down from what they would ever consider. I just think, man, these smaller, shorter, more powerful, compelling nuggets has mm-hmm. the power to transform the way people think about the church. Mm-hmm. Now think about church, but think about the church in the way that it can actually help their family. Right. I would also encourage people to like, whether you manage a team of technical people or worship people, or it's just you by yourself, don't underestimate your uh, value to the organization as an encourager to your leadership. So you've got to think about what, what these pastors are feeling and going through. And not only do they have a responsibility to lead their congregation through a really stressful time, but they've also got uh, a staff and, you know, a church to take care of and to pay salaries and uh, a bunch of things. And, you know, they're people too, and they feel, and you're as, as in a production role, we work closer to these, uh, pastors than most other people in most other departments and, uh, our ability to really step in and be an encouragement to them and to just let them know, like, Hey, we believe in you. You're a great leader. I would follow you into the, you know, wherever, uh, it means more than I think we probably give ourselves credit for like, Oh, who am I? I'm just a tech guy. Or they, they hear encouragement all the time. Leading organizations, especially Christian organizations is probably one of the hardest things to do. Uh, and I think the more we can enable them and make them feel encouraged and it, that will open them up to, Oh, I've got this great idea. Hey, I felt like maybe we could do this. That'll naturally spur on more things that I think you can do for your community just by letting them, making them feel enabled and encouraged. Man, that's good. One other thing, um, just thinking about the weekend being online is what are we doing for family ministries, students, kids, and things? Yeah. And we, we've seen this in our own campuses, and I've seen some stuff online. I would really try and shift the thinking, like your children's department don't just email out a PDF of mazes and crossword puzzles for the kids to do as they join you watching online. Like I told they're our, already getting that from school. Well, they don't want they've got to do school at home. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. So like I told yeah. our children's pastor, I'm like, your iPhone shoots in slow-mo, go buy a bunch of toys at the dollar store and run over them with your car in slow-mo and put that on your YouTube channel and then talk <laughs> about Jesus. Like, that's what our kids are already so doing. Good. Like my kids were yeah. out of school today and they had schoolwork to do because they can do a lot online, but they're on their Chromebooks and Nintendos all day. Yeah. 
so we got to get in front of our kids where they're at. Mm. Mm. So good. good. Yeah. I mean, they're watching YouTube. Uh, you know, they're, they're, it's such a perfect opportunity, I think, for us to reach those kids. I understand that there's a lot of resource or maybe just a paradigm shift for folks, but goodness, I mean, the opportunity is, is just massive. And like with the kids thing, you don't need a bunch of fancy gear for stuff like that. No, it's no, like all no. the YouTube channels that my kids watch with like 15 million subscribers. It's these, it's the lowest of low tech. Yeah. Oh, it's yeah. millennial dads with eight year old girls and they've got like one camera and they can use Adobe. You know, it's so easy. Mm. It's so easy. It's not I easy saw, to get 15 million subscribers, but right. I saw like a tweet going viral. Somebody posted a video of marble racing. And it's literally like marbles just going down of somebody dug a track in the mud and it, it was captivating. They were, it was amazing. <laughs> You're rooting for that blue. Yeah. You yeah. know, the blue's got to beat the green. Right. <laughs> that's funny. It's funny that like, that's what we're competing with. You know, it's yeah, not, Yeah, it, it's a different day and age. It's people are going to be on the couch watching your church service on their phone and they'll be watching a UFC fight or the Hallmark channel on the TV in front of them. So it's mm-hmm. not even a this or that. It's it's during. It's, it's doing mu- multiple things at the same time. Right. I just like that it was UFC and Hallmark. Yeah, you know, <laughs> had to go to the, the moms and the dads. <laughs> right, I got you. Okay. UFC reruns is about the only sport that's on right now. That's so. true. Yeah, <laughs> That's so true, though. I mean, I, like any of you listening on this podcast, how many of you guys watch TV and are not on your phones at the same time. Like nobody, right. everyone's always on their phone while they're watching something. Yeah. The rest of the world is looking at the church right now. Like, yeah, we, we've been doing this for years because our business yeah. is dependent on it. And now, yeah. now we're being forced to, which I think is awesome. Mm-hmm. One of the things that Lee and I were experiencing this week was Lee, you, you probably can speak to this cause we both had this like visceral reaction to it. Once we knew we had to go live, uh, go online, the organization was like the instinct was fill it, try to try to get people to, you know, the stream as if it was a physical location. And both Lee and I were like, they're already the church is already in their pocket. Like it's already there, you know, so how we do that is not like your invited card, like it's already, it's already in their pocket. It was so fascinating to kind of walk through that instinct, try to calm everybody down and go, we have to apply a totally different strategy to this. Uh, Lee, do you remember that happening this week? Oh yeah. Yeah. I would get in trouble. I would share the screenshots of the text messages to (laughs) some campus pastors, but it, it, you know, it's all the church is known is, are people going to show up this weekend? Are people going to show up this weekend? How is attendance? And yeah. the church is in their pocket every day now, 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's now it's an, it's what CJ said earlier. We're just trading for attention. That's it. We're just trying mm-hmm. to get to the top of the list. Yeah, exactly. So have you guys talked specifically again for the, for the church that is listening and going, man, I want so desperately to figure this out too. Have you guys, I know it's only been a week, but what have you talked about in terms of next steps type things that you would do in a service? In other words, are groups meeting online? Do you have a plan for um, what their experience looks like over the coming months? You know, how are people going to 
find community when they're forced into quarantine? Like, how how are you going to continue to be the church in that way? Mm, I don't know. You know, I think we had really good success this week of getting the the weekend online, and we're poised to change directions with ministry to accommodate being online, but we really don't know what's going to work yet. Yeah. I mean, it's, we keep saying it over and over, we have to fail fast and we've gotten leadership on board with that. So we're just prototyping a lot of stuff. Like this morning we shot, um, interviews that were like FaceTime interviews. So a campus pastor on stage and they FaceTime in, another leader from another church and they have a leadership discussion and they're like 10 minute videos. So we would never do that on a weekend, but we're just trying stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. I think the next few months um, are just going to be a series of just trying stuff out. And it may sound like to some people that we're all like prepping for Armageddon. We're never going to meet again. And, and we kind of are Mm -hmm. like the president said today, like this could go into July, but, our job is to get as far in front of this as possible. So we're just planning on it's a new day. It's a new type of thing. And then thankfully from the weekend attendance and finances, everybody went, Oh, well we should not stop doing this. Right. So we had a meeting today and it was, okay, let's build out an actual separate master control room for streaming. Like, okay, great. If I showed you guys a picture of what we did, you'd be like, (laughs) what? It was like six millennials, in a closet <laughs> with laptops and like orange extension cables strung out over the room. And like, it was a mess. Okay. Yeah. Videos look great and the stream happened, but how it happened, that is one heck of a sausage factory right now. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, well, well, I think the cool thing is that as we move forward, there's a lot of this stuff that won't go away, that won't need to go away. It's It's not like we're just biding our time until we can get back to what we used to do. What you're saying in this whole conversation is, gosh, guys, what we're learning is going to be able to be applied forever and even more so. So, you know, not that we're grateful for this um, experience that people are having, but we are kind of grateful for the opportunity to have these learnings. Oh man, I think especially in this situation, but if you go at it with the approach of, oh, we're just going to ride this out and, you know, see, kind of do our thing and see what happens, you're going to miss it. I think now, if you're not already thinking about it, make today the day, 180 degrees, pivot, you have to lean into this. It's a new day. Yeah. Yeah, because back to normal might not ever be normal again. We don't know. I don't see how it could be, honestly, Jeff. I don't see how if you have three to six weeks of folks kind of changing their patterns and habit. I just don't see how it can go back. I mean, maybe it can, but you've got a young generation who's already accustomed to consuming content the way that we're doing right now and connecting with their, their networks digitally. You know, I, maybe I seem to be more digitally inclined or just favor it some, but I, I honestly do think that people are having really good experiences. They're seeing that they can connect, man. It'll, it'll, I'll be surprised if it just kind of goes back to normal. Jake, so if you're a church of just a couple hundred people with no budget and you weren't streaming before and your pastor came to you and said, okay, we got, we got to get this stuff online, what do you do? Great question. 
uh, in some ways, we're dealing with this still. You're, we're also dealing with this at Bayside. Uh, we're reaching out to a lot of our other ministries, you know, whether it's student ministries or singles or whatever, and saying, hey, how can we help you? Like, we can't capture your content. You guys are going to have to do that. But how can we help you up the quality? So we're doing everything from like, hey, this is a great little camera you can get. Hey, here's a little light that will work well with your iPhone. Hey, here's a little sure MV88 little iPhone mic that's going to help your sound get better all the way to, hey, we're going to set up a small, um, you know, two, three camera shoot in your house uh, kind of thing if you want to do that. So I think um, depending on your level, I think even the most affordable, my sister actually leads worship at a really small church and they have no budget. And uh, I recommended that she buy this little like USB like uh, converter for her computer. She's literally using her computer's screen and an output from their soundboard to get into the computer. And, uh, and that's how they're doing church online. So um, I think there's some great resources online with uh, some great dealers out there that really support churches. If you look up and, uh, and I know the MXU guys have already released a bunch of stuff on YouTube on broadcast mixing and things. So, uh, I would, I would reach out for sure and see what the options are, but you can absolutely do it for as little as, you know, 50 bucks. You can make something better. Well, I think this has been super helpful. Thank you guys for taking an hour out of your day to talk about this. I love hearing what Bayside is doing. I love your heart for the church all around the world, not just in Sacramento, not just at your campuses, but how you guys are just pushing the ball forward, trying to push against what what seems to be just same old, same old and what used to be normal. Um, I think we're all learning a lot from you guys and I'm just I'm just grateful that you're that you're doing what you're doing. I think last weekend was a huge success and I know that you're gonna just keep moving forward with that and I just can't wait to see what's next. It's awesome. All yeah, right. Thanks for having us, guys. Yeah, it feels thanks, weird. Man. I almost feel like a guest on my own podcast right now. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Well, your, your check's not in the mail, so. Oh, great. <laughs> awesome. Hello. No, but thank you guys so much. And thank you all for tuning in. I hope this was helpful as we're coming into uncharted territory. I hope that uh, this gave you some ideas of how to make your online experiences better, how to think about digital in a different way. We're going to be bringing you a lot more content in the coming weeks about uh, this transition and how we can all partner together just to make our experiences for our audiences better and better. On another note, if you got a ticket to MXU Live in Chicago, you should have received an email about our change of plans. Unfortunately, we've had to postpone. But the good news is MXU Live is now a two-day event. So we're going to be in Chicago, August 25th and 26th. The first day will be audio. The second day will be lighting. So we know that you're going to be excited about that. Tickets are available at mxu.rocks. We can't wait to see you there. In the meantime, keep up with us on social, and we'll see you soon. <laughs>